Hi, this is Ron Darling. Uh, this is Skip Lockwood. Hi, I'm Ron Swoboda of the 69 New York Mets, and you're listening to Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mets Musings. I hope everybody had a terrific week out there. Uh, Metsies are back home, thank goodness. Need to get some good home cooking. Um, they faulted a little bit on the West Coast, but bounced back, taking two out of three from the Angels to make it a five and five road trip. Tejon Walker capped off the trip with a 10 strikeout performance on Sunday. However, at the same time, and it's a good thing the Mets had that big lead as they have gone 5-5 five and five and then come, came home to face Milwaukee, won the opener, lost the second. The rubber game is tonight as we record this. And the Mets are 6-6 six and six over their last 12 games while the Atlanta Braves have gone on a, I think it's up to 13 in a row now, uh, run and have cut deeply into the Mets' big lead with a uh, Mets now lead by only a mere four games after having a 10.5 or 10-in-a-game lead at one point in time. And it's not like the Mets have done anything um, you know, it's not like they've collapsed or anything. They've simply have struggled. They've played 500 ball. And unfortunately, their closest competitor has played flawless ball, uh, not losing a game and making up a lot of ground in a hurry. Uh, you know, just think of it. Over the last 12 games, they've gone 12-0. and 0. Had they gone... Eight and four, you know, uh, it'd be a different story. The Mets would still have a seven or eight game lead. So um, just bad timing to go into a 500 slump. But the Mets have avoided a long losing streak, which does bode well and helps them at this point in time until they can get back at players. And we'll talk about that in a minute and uh, put to, hopefully put together a long winning streak of their own. You don't have to win 14 in a row. It'd be nice to, but win 12 out of 14 or 10 out of 14 or uh, 11 out of 14, something in that range, 8 out of 10, uh, you know, something like that, and that'll, uh, that'll help them immensely. But uh, it's tightening up, and... Did we really expect them to run away with it? I mean, you know, Atlanta is defending champions. Uh, you knew they were going to get it together at some point, and um, they have put it together now. There's always the possibility that this may be the only run that they put together. And uh, they play uh, 500 to 550 to 600 baseball the way in, and the Mets can match it. 
and hopefully, uh, you know, keep their distance. But um, it's it's all to see. Now, not to discredit Atlanta at all in this streak, but they have played teams that are essentially below 500. Uh, they played uh, Arizona and uh, Colorado and uh, Pittsburgh and Washington in this streak. And, um, you know, they, they and now they're playing the Cubs, I believe, or they're going to play the Cubs this weekend. So haven't really had the top echelon that they're playing. Um, but, you know, that's what you have to do if you're a good team. You have to beat up on the lesser teams. And that's the way championships are won. I mean, you know, plain and simple. You build the lead, and the Mets did some of that in, uh, if you think about it, the early part of the season um, when they, they beat up on a lot of these uh, the lower teams. So now the Mets are playing the, the tougher teams. And, uh, you know, it's... It, it, it's a drag in a way. Uh, but uh, next week, I think Atlanta's schedule tightens up a little. They play the Giants and the Dodgers, and so we'll see. Uh, but, you know, it, again, it's not that the Mets have played poorly or though they, they played pretty bad last, last night. They got hammered pretty good, but it's not that they played poorly. It's just that the timing is bad that they have been playing 500 ball while uh, Atlanta's been playing a thousand ball. So, uh, but that that will change as we go along. And there is some good news. Some folks may be coming back hopefully soon, uh, maybe within three weeks or so. Uh, Jacob DeGrom threw a 30-pitch bullpen session on Tuesday, his fourth since he began rehabbing the stress reaction in his right scapula. Uh, according to MLB.com's Anthony DeComo, uh, the next step for DeGrom is to throw it up and down on Friday, uh, meaning he will be pitching in a simulated game where he sits down and gets up as if it was a regular game. Uh, and that is probably before he begins his rehire uh, assignment. And it, this is similar to what uh, Tyler McGill did in his five steps before he began his rehab assignment and came back. The Mets gave no official update. Uh, gave no date on when uh, DeGrom may be back, but they said that everything is progressing and coming along well. So all we can do is hope for the best and um, hope that uh, DeGrom is still aiming for, I would think, early July for him to return. And that's getting close. I mean, you know, we're halfway through June, so, uh, you know, July is not that far away now. And Max Scherzer was seen around a city field throwing and running around the outfield on Tuesday. Uh, he was hesitant to put any exact date when he could return to the mound. He said that 
his oblique is 90%, but that's just half the battle. Progressing well, but the way to describe this injury and the rehab of this half the battle is getting back to 90%, and then the second half of the battle is from 90% to 100%. Scherz has said, with the trainees here, we've done a great job of getting back to 90%, but I'm still in the fight here to try to get back to 100%. We've done good work to get to this point, but I still have a lot in front of me. So, uh, you know, again, Scherz is another guy that would be a big boost to this club if we could get him back. And um, I, I think a lot of people are expecting him to be back by July or something, you know, again, early July. So... It's it's gonna be uh, the the key is gonna get these guys back and keep them healthy the rest of the season and what a boost that's gonna be to the pitching staff and to this team in general and Mets catcher James McCann is close to a rehab assignment said head coach or uh, manager Buck Showalter McCann who has been rehabbing from a fractured left hammock bone has been swinging the bat he was seen hitting batting practice just before show walter broke the update so that's encouraging the last step is receiving baseballs from behind the plate making sure he can squeeze comfortably without any pain so uh mccann could be uh, again a week or two away and all of these guys um are gonna come back sooner you know and it's going to cause a, quite a glut then, but we will see. And uh, more injury news. Mets outfielder Travis Jankowski and reliever Colin Holderman gave injury updates on Tuesday. and Both of them could be back sooner rather than later. Jankowski was placed on the IL a little less than three weeks ago, retroactive to May 26th due to a left fourth metacarpal fracture that required surgery. At the time, the Mets estimated that Jankowski would be out for six to eight weeks, but he's aiming for a much quicker return. Holderman was placed on the IL this past Saturday due to a right shoulder impingement retroactive to June 8th. Holderman told Newsday's Tim Healy that the MRI revealed a minor impingement that he expects to begin throwing soon and that he re expects to return either right when his 15-day IL stunt stint is up or soon after. So he could be uh, ready in another week or so. So he could be getting Holderman back. And the Mets are calling right-handed reliever Tommy Hunter up to New York, but have yet not to decide if they will activate him, reports SNY's Andy Martino. Per Martino, there are no potential IL situations, meaning the Mets would likely have to DFA a player to clear room for Hunter. Among the players who could be in danger is Jake Reed, who allowed five runs in two-thirds of an inning against the Milwaukee Brewers on Wednesday night after allowing three runs in uh, uh, two-thirds of an inning against the Los Angeles Angels on June 11th. So um, have we seen the last of Jake Reed? It's very possible we have in a Mets uniform, and uh, 
I guess at this point he would be the logical choice to go uh, with the way he's been pissing. He's been struggling lately, and so we'll see where that happens if the Mets decide to call up Tommy Hunter and to uh, say goodbye to Jake Reed. That brings us up to uh, all the updates, and we've got a great guest on tonight. We're going to talk about the uh, Miami Marlins who are coming into town tomorrow evening for a big four-game seat set. It's the first time the Mets have played the Marlins this season, so should be a good one, and we're going to see some of their top pitches, unfortunately. Uh, but let's take a break, and we'll be back with my special guest right after this. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com. Wouldn't it be great if you could get a Ph.D. in life through baseball? Welcome to Baseball Ph.D., a tour company for your brain. 30 major league teams, 100 places to see. Let's touch them all as we make the road trip of a lifetime. Check out my Facebook group. It's at facebook.com slash Mets Musings. Go check it out and don't forget to call the hotline. It's 516-619-6341. Is a person familiar to uh, Mets Musings audience. He was with us before. He is Eli Sussman. He's the managing editor of Fish Stripes, a Marlins blog. And also uh, you host a podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, welcome, Eli, to Mets Musings. It's glad to be here. I do vividly remember going on with you early last year, <laughs> like heading into the first matchup with Marlins and Mets. And the schedule this year is unlike anything I've ever seen between division rivals, where it feels like we've already played almost half the year, and yet these teams have not met yet. Uh, forgive the pun right there. So this is <laughs> this is going to be unusual, and it's going to be critical, especially from the Marlins' perspective. So I'm glad to uh, break it all down with you. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy that here we are in the middle of June, and, and the Mets and the Marlins have not met, considering you know the weather in the Northeast. They should really, I, I always feel they should try to schedule. Uh, the warm weather and dome stadium teams with the, the teams that have a chance of getting rain or snow earlier in the season. and um, But, you know, this has been a wacky schedule. I mean, the, the Mets were out on the West Coast. They flew back, played six games, and then f flew back out to the West Coast again. I don't know if Miami's had a similar situation, yep. uh, but it's kind of wacky. Yeah, the Marlins began their season on a West Coast trip to San Francisco and then to the Angels. And that went pretty badly for them. And then already they've made, uh, just like the Mets, they made a second trip just yeah. a few weeks ago as well. So they're really racking up the miles. I don't know if people know this, but the Marlins are always near the top of the list in terms of airline miles that they use during the season. If, if you think about it, aside from the Rays, you know, there's no team within 
hundreds and hundreds of miles of them and they only play the Rays a couple times a year. So um, especially even these players are used to it, but even by their standards, it's been a lot. And I think it's maybe played like a small role in them being up and down to this point in the season. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned the fact that they've been up and down. I mean, uh, two years ago, they won a wild card spot uh, with a 31-29 and 29 record in that shortened season. Last year, they went uh, 67-95, finished fourth place. Was that a disappointment for the team to go from a wild card team and, and to drop to a fourth place team? A big disappointment, I would say. Uh, they brought back so many familiar faces from the 2020 postseason team for that next year. And they thought running it back and also getting an infusion of young talent. Everybody thought this was one of the deeper and more special farm systems in baseball entering last year that those players would be able to contribute. And a couple of them actually did. Uh, it was an odd and very frustrating year where early on they just all these close games were just going the wrong way for them. And they did feel they were better than that record. I think everybody that watched the team would agree they were better than a 95 loss team, but ultimately uh, who cares? Ultimately what matters is how you perform on the field. It was tough to watch, especially down the stretch those last couple of months of the season um, because they were closer to 500 going into the trade deadline. And then it was really afterwards where there just was not a whole lot to look forward to it was just individual bright spots that you would look at and that's never what you want to be when you're four years into rebuild you want but you want to see some sort of positive momentum so that was a frustrating step back and that went a long way into them going into this winter with a more determined determined mindset to actually spend money first of all uh, to like bring in more proven players that they thought would like iron around the edges and make a more complete team entering this year, which you could say has had mixed results despite yeah. their best intentions. Was the Derek Jeter situation, uh, you know, did that play into anything last year at all? Or, uh, you know, was there animosity last year between, uh, you know, general manager and, and, uh, and Derek Jeter, how did that affect the team? And how did, how was it affecting the team this year? Right. It should be pointed out that last year was the first year of Kim Ang as general manager of the team. They brought her in, um, but didn't give her like unilateral power as a first time GM, even with all her baseball experience. Like my understanding is that she was still underneath Derek Jeter in the decision-making like hierarchy that they were still giving him the ultimate power that he was the one that could veto some big decisions if he chose to do so, which just feels a little backwards because despite all that he's accomplished as a player, you know, he didn't have nearly as much decision-making experience as Kim did uh, in, in this situation. I would, so that is a difference from this year and that Jeter, as everybody knows, is no longer with the team. He broke up as CEO, depending on who's accounting you look at, People within the Marlins are pretty adamant that it was more so their choice, that they felt he was on the baseball side and even more importantly on the business side. They felt that he just wasn't a super effective CEO. Um, and his perspective is that he was getting impatient and especially coming off last year, he wanted to spend even more money that wasn't really his money because he was a small minority owner. He wanted to spend more of Bruce Sherman's money to improve the team with veteran players. I think both sides 
felt that it just didn't wasn't a great fit moving forward um, in what would have been his fifth year with the team. At this point now, Kim Ang, by all accounts, has more of that total power uh, if she chooses to use so. She likes to collaborate with other people, but this is a huge, um, this is a very direct reflection on her ability to at least make the most out of what she has uh, in building this team. And it does seem to be a better team than last year. So that's a step forward. Um, it's just not as much of a step forward as people were probably hoping for. Well, as we record this, the Marlins are 28-32, 11 and a half games back of the Mets. And um, a lot of that's because the Mets did get off to a hot start and, and built a big lead. They've lost some of that as far as the Braves, who have won 13 in a row, who doesn't seem to be losing at all. And... Um, the Phillies hanging around the 500 mark, but um, the Marlins are hanging. They're not, they, you know, they're hanging around that 500 mark as well. So they're not in as bad a shape so far because anything could happen in the second half. Well, so my concerns is that might be looking too far ahead in the second half. They do have a pretty brutal <laughs> stretch coming up, heading between now and the all-star break. Only, we're recording this right before an off day. And then after that, it's almost games every single day for the next month plus. And a lot of those games against the Mets, 11 of them. So I know we're probably focusing more on the here and now, but it's these teams are going to play each other so much between now and the end of the first half of the season. And it comes at a time where the Marlins, their big stars are still shining bright and they're healthy. Sandy Alcantara, Jazz Chisholm Jr., Pablo Lopez, they have been even better than anybody could have hoped for to this point. But they are carrying the team at this point. And you just wonder how that's going to work, especially if they're playing a very good team like the Mets so many times. These upcoming games with very little rest, with a lot of travel, and just all the a bunch of key role players are still down with injury. Brian Anderson is one of the longest tenured Marlins players. He's a really well-rounded player, even if he's not super flashy. And Joey Wendell fits into that same bucket. He's currently out with a hamstring injury. A very popular breakout pick for them this year was Jesus Lazardo, who's a former top prospect. They just acquired him last year. They bought low on him. They made some adjustments, and it looked early in the year that he could break out as a legitimate mid-rotation starter with amazing stuff. And unfortunately, he has been down with a forearm issue for a while now. So it's these little role players that uh, I, without them, the depth that the team has isn't exactly where you'd want it to be in terms of filling those voids and keeping the team afloat. So I'm worried, even though at the moment, you're completely right that this is, anything could happen if they, mm -hmm. if these guys step up and play um, exceed expectations in the absence of those other role players. Is is there any talk about Mattingly going at all? Is he in trouble on any level at all, uh, or you know, or they just accepted that it's it's they don't spend a lot of money and uh, he's doing a good job there. What's the deal with him? Well, it should be pointed out, I guess, first of all, that he was the NL manager of the year less than two years ago for <laughs> yeah. what he did with that wildcard team where he he was playing with players that he had never met before by necessity due to their COVID issues that year. And as much as he is truly beloved by his players and by the media, 
Um, this is now, God, I think his seventh season overall as a team manager. He's been around a while, and it's just very rare to be around that long without having a really good team. They Even the year they made the playoffs, I don't think anybody would say that that was a truly good team. That was one that took it, that played just well enough during that small season to get to get into the expanded postseason that year but there's just a long track record of it's the low-hanging fruit but the way he manages a bullpen has been really infuriating and it continues to cost them in very close games it's the reason why they're underperforming record-wise people the way that people feel this should be um his his explanations for some of his decisions that he makes are really unsatisfying. You know, when he chooses to platoon players like jazz Chisholm jr, who everybody else would like to see playing every single day, but isn't being given that opportunity. It's he's, he's not solely responsible for a whole lot of their issues. It's just that eventually um, there are, there were expectations of this team being significantly better than last team to at least hang in the race for a wild card spot the entire year. And if they don't do that, he's on an expiring contract. This is his walk year. Okay. I am, there is a very strong expectation that he will be gone at the end of the year um, because of how well he is, how graciously he has handled himself as the job. They don't, they don't want to fire him in the middle of the year, like the Phillies did or the angels did. I think that's very unlikely it's just going to take a very good performance from the players. It's ultimately going to be in their hands to play well the rest of the year to perform at a level where they feel it's a possibility to bring him back. I, but the likeliest outcome at this point is that this is his final year as the manager. Well, we wish him good luck. <laughs> if, if that is the case, he could get hot and get yeah. into a wild card and that would save his job. But uh as you say, it's tough after seven years is a long time in, in today's market. So uh, he, he's had a good run there, too. Um, the the uh, the young pitching has been something that people have been talking about the last couple of years. You mentioned Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara, uh, both off to very good seasons, uh, good starts this year so far. Uh, Trevor Rogers is kind of struggling a little bit i mean uh he's below 500 right now but um that that's that's a nice trio to have going for you um any others that uh uh, perhaps in the minors or something else that we should be looking forward to there is uh just so many of these minor injuries have held back their rotation depth that is the one thing we circled heading into the year with this rotation is that we thought the depth that it had would be able to get through even the usual amount of injuries that they would, by the end of the year, that they would get just more quality starts than most other teams in baseball. And to this point, it's just been such a, it's been a surprisingly thin rotation. It has been Alcantara and Lopez. And um, it's, it's the modern day version of the, Spawn and say I, I don't even remember that exact reference from what <laughs> was Milwaukee and, and pray for rain. Yeah, where it just you don't feel great about any of the options outside of those top two right now. Trevor Rogers, you were being very kind to him. He's been bad. He's been bad any way you slice it. Coming off an All Star year, it's really tough to crack what's wrong because he does seem healthy. His 
stuff is still a high quality. I think long-term, they still are very excited about him as am I, but this year is um, it's been a, a struggle and you wonder how long he's going to stick at the major league level. I, I mentioned briefly Jesus Lazardo. He is inching his way back. And during the second half of the season, um, there's good reason to be excited about him, that he's one of the better swing and miss pitchers that you will, you will see in a rotation. It's all about whether he can give them enough innings to be very valuable in that sense. Um, in their farm system, I'd say one guy that we've been anxious to see, but he got pushed back by a minor injury is Max Meyer, who was their top draft pick in 2020. And he has an outstanding slider. And this year he's just been a great all around pitcher, surprising even those that were very uh, excited about him. Like he has exceeded expectations when he's been healthy. He's working back from a minor injury that at least for the next couple of weeks, he still needs to build back up his workload. But we could see him as soon as early July uh, in this rotation because he is completely ready. They thought he'd be up in the big leagues by now. It was just that this minor injury setback held him back. So he it's somebody to keep an eye on, not just for this year, but hopefully for the next half decade in this rotation. Um, the youngest, the, the very best pitching prospect that they have is one who's not really an option for next year. I think you're looking more at 2023. And his name is Yuri Perez. He is six foot nine. And what's so uncommon is that he's already such a polished pitcher uh, with a deep pitch mix, high 90s fastball, multiple breaking balls, and he is command of it as well. Usually with those guys that have all their big limbs, they just have a difficult time controlling it. It takes them years and years to be consistent, but he is 19 years old. He just turned 19 and he's already at double A and he's already being successful at double A. Um, so if they called him up, he would be the youngest player in the majors by a wide margin. I think even if they call him up next year, um, it's highly unusual for players that young to make it up. Um, I mean, there are every few years, there's a Doc Gooden situation uh, when, when the Dodgers, Julio Urias, when he came up, he was still a teenager. But these are very rare uh, situations. So I think they're going to be a little conservative and wait until next year. Uh, when he's gone through all the ups and downs that development takes, but he is emerging as one of the very best pitching prospects in all of baseball for any of the teams. So, uh, I mean, aside from that, they do have um, a decent amount of, they have candidates at least to be solid backend starters. Uh, it's just at this particular moment, it's at the big leagues, they are kind of lacking in that department. They have to be a little bit more patient while some of these guys get healthy. And, and I think, you know, um, Injuries have been a lot this year uh, in the NL East, especially, uh, you know, the Mets lost two starting pitches in Scherzer and DeGrom, which I'm sure you're glad about now. Uh, <laughs> you won't have to face them for another month or so. Uh, but um, there seems to be a lot of injuries around now. Um, Ozzy Albies is going to be out with the uh, Braves for six weeks, I believe it is. And so, uh you know, and, and the Mets have had a thing with the pitching as far as uh, not not our pitching, but the other pitching, getting hit a lot. Uh, do you notice that with Miami, that there's more hit by pitchers? It seems to be an awful lot. The Mets are leading the league, 42 hitter, hits by pitcher. Um, and, and is this a, a, a reaction or 
the result of the uh, the stickum coming away from the, the, the pitchers and a lot of young pitches in. What's your thoughts on that? I'd say surprisingly, it hasn't been much of an issue for the Marlins this season. I remember last year they were right among the league leaders, not in getting hit by pitches, but in dishing them out. And there have been, I don't know if your listeners have followed closely, the drama between the Marlins and Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Braves, where every single time they play, everybody is dialed in on whether he's going to get hit by a pitch and what the reaction is going to be. He's been a ball magnet for whatever reason in those matchups, even though they insist most of them are, most of them, maybe all of them are unintentional. There've been just in those particular areas, you know, comes to mind. Um, in general, it hasn't been, I, I'm, a, I'm very aware of the Mets situation, especially early in the year. I saw those numbers where it just seems hard to believe that every single game, somebody getting hit and often in a dangerous spot too. So yeah. I, I feel for you um, in the, yeah, in the Marlins case, like, as we've talked about, they have not met head to head yet, but maybe it'll be contagious. Maybe now that they do actually play each other, uh, that'll be a bigger presence in the games. I think we're all trying to wrap our minds around exactly what the ban on sticky substances really means and all the effects of that. We're we're about one year exactly from when they started reinforcing that last year. Um, that could be one of the byproducts is just having in certain situations, having that lack of control and having balls mm-hmm. slip out of your hands. And there are, as we touched on with Trevor Rogers, there are particular players where it's hard to understand why they're not having the success that they had last year, um, especially him. It's pretty obvious. He was amazing early last year. And then coincidence or not during the second half of the year, he was not as effective, even though he looks to be healthy. So I think we're still wrapping with different pitchers. Um, different adjustments are required to still be able to pitch normally under those circumstances. And I think there's no doubt that there are some players that still have had a hard time exactly cracking the, the, the issues that's going on there and making those adjustments. Uh, yeah. I, well, I, I think it's, there's a lot of young guys that are throwing hard and uh, you know, maybe just can't grip the ball like uh, they should be. And they're throwing so hard. It's just going all over the place. And, and uh, the, the stick them helped them in that aspect. And um you know, I think Major League Baseball's got to do something about it. Apparently, they've tried an alternative in the minor leagues, and it was a, a horrible uh, uh, experiment, did not work at all. And maybe they've got to go back to uh, one of the two that they banned and 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 say, you know, we, we've got to come, come up with another alternative. It was plenty of offense, even when they were using the stick'em. Batters use, you know, pine tar and stick them and all kinds of stuff. So I, I don't see anything that wrong with it by uh, using, you know, you don't want it to be excessive, of course, but they can monitor that. They're checking their hands every uh, time they come in, it seems. So uh, they can do something about that. But, you know, that's that's not up to us. That's up to uh, uh, the commissioner and his team. Now, the, the Marlins did make some acquisitions in the off-seasons, uh, Jorge Sola being one of the biggest, the MVP of the World Series last year. Um, he's struggling a little bit average-wise, but his power numbers aren't bad. I would say, overall, I, I had no idea what to expect from him because if you look at <laughs> last year, 
last year with the, he started last year with the Royals and he got off to such a bad start that at the trade deadline, it was essentially a salary dump of giving him to the Braves. <laughs> the Royals didn't really get much of anything in return for him, even though he's had a decent history prior to 2021. It was just, it was really bad with not getting to his power as much as you would expect and just striking out too much. And if you look at the numbers, once he went to the Braves, even before the World Series, just to get them into the play postseason, he was critical to them. He was batting at the top of their lineup, playing every single day, and he was getting on base a lot, um, and and still hitting for power. So it was he was a difficult player to uh, put a price tag on entering this offseason because of the inconsistency. I think ultimately the contract was three years and 36 million, which I felt was a little high. I was surprised that if the market went that high, I thought the Marlins would get outbid. The Braves wanted him back uh, for one team. And I think several others were interested as well. And it's a unique contract in that he can opt out after this first year, he can go back into the market if he feels that he's going to get a better deal than the one that he's currently on. And he did get off to very slow start the first I'd say three weeks was especially bad uh, offensively, but he has since then overall numbers, especially when you realize that run scoring is down a little bit in baseball and you recalibrate, like he's been pretty close to, I think what could have been reasonably expected. They wanted him, if you're a small market team, like the Marlins, the few times you spend on free agents, you want them to overperform. There's a lot of pressure because you only have so much money to spread around um, so you could get, I'm, I know that they feel they want to be greedy about it and they would want a little bit more, as you said, in, in the average department where he's been all year, he's been right around the Mendoza line. Um, and the defense has been a lot, he's been a liability out there as well. He's basically their everyday left fielder. And he, um, despite being a pretty good athlete overall, it just does not translate on in the outfield the way that you would think it would. Overall, he's been fine. He's on pace for over 30 homers, and that's something that they were missing in this lineup for most of the last few years. So he's been he's been a bit of a help. He's definitely been an upgrade over some of the uh, the carousel of outfielders that they've gone through in recent years. Well, it was a nice win last night over the Phillies in a a wild game, eleven and eleven to nine. I think was the final, and uh, pulled it out in the ninth inning. Uh, crazy uh crazy game back and forth but um who would you say is your hot and who's not right now for the marlins well on that's a good question on the hot side i think you have to start with garrett cooper who goes under the radar because he's not hitting very many home runs we're deep into the year and he only has four of them but he he bounces between their dh and first base spot and he's like top five in the nl batting title race right now He's he started off okay, and recently he had this long streak of multi-hit games. I think he went a full week with having multi-hit games every single day of that week to get his average up there. Despite how strong he is, how much like power potential he has, he loves using the opposite fields and hitting up the middle as well. So he he's a righty hitter, but instead of pulling to left, he uses a whole lot of center field and right field. It makes him really difficult to defend against. You know, it's hard to shift him effectively. He keeps finding those holes. So having him, he's taken over as their regular number two hitter. That's been huge. That's been a very big help to have that production from a guy that historically has missed a lot of time due to injury. And this year, you know, knock on wood, everything's been mostly good from that standpoint. 
Uh, Miguel Rojas is inching out of his slow start to the season. He's a guy they have him for defense and for leadership and intangibles, but they also wanted him to hit a little bit more than he had been early in the year. And he had a huge game that they ultimately lost on Monday, but he provided both of the runs that they had on that night. And almost he was almost single-handedly providing all their offense when they really needed him to. He's great at putting the ball in play, even if it doesn't always go over the wall. And um, I wouldn't say Jazz Chisholm Jr. has mostly been hot this entire year. I don't know if he's ever really cooled down. It's been a little bit up and down and up and down. It's just that he is amazing, as good as anybody in clutch situations. Whenever he does come up in those spots, you always believe he's going to come through. And um, in particular, during that game you mentioned, he was the one that hit the game-tying home run in the later innings. He's been He's essentially been hot the entire year, but on the cold side, Jacob Stallings was somebody that they, the reigning gold glove winner for the pirates at catcher. They thought he would be a big upgrade for them at that spot. And for the most part um, on both sides of the ball, he's been a disappointment. Uh, He actually just had a big home run on Tuesday in that win, but that was only his second of the entire season. He hit one on opening day and then he hit one last night and then he didn't hit any in between. They're just getting very little offense from him and just not quite as much of an impact defensively as they thought. So he's been uh, a little cold. And for the season overall, Avasel Garcia, they spent even more money on him than they did Soler. They spent $53 million on Avasel Garcia. And uh, until just waking up recently, he has been awful. He just – he – has terrible discipline. He doesn't make good swing decisions and it leads to a ton of strikeouts, a very low on base percentage. He he's been one of the bigger, I would say he's one of the bigger disappointments across all of baseball. Maybe the tide is turning just because he has such a long track record. I think you have to look at the bigger sample though, and say that he's one of the liabilities on the team. And for some reason they continue to play him every single day. So that's been frustrating. Well, because they paid him the big contract, so they got to sort of justify it, I guess, by playing him anyway, hoping he'll come out of it. And uh, you just don't know. Sometimes you change teams like that. Like you said, Soler was uh, not so good or was having an off year with Kansas City. Goes to Atlanta, all of a sudden he's a superstar. Comes to Miami then, which was a shock, I thought, because I thought for sure that he would have stayed with Atlanta. and struggles a bit, but sometimes it's that contract. You know, look at uh, Francisco Lindor last year, came over, struggled big time. So, uh, you know, you never know with these guys. Um, uh, I looked at the uh, probable pitchers, and there's a lot of to be determined for both teams on there. Any? Do you have any idea that who may be pitching in this series? Well, I know three of the four, you're going to be seeing the ace, Sandy Alcantara, again. Uh, You'll be seeing the two of their young guys. I think they're both still technically rookies. Edward Cabrera, a righty, hard-throwing righty. And Braxton Garrett, who is a former first-round pick. He's kind of a soft-tossing lefty, but he's coming off a great start. And the question is Pablo Lopez, because he is coming off an injury scare. He took a comebacker to his right wrist, and he was supposed to start – as we're recording this on Wednesday against the Phillies, but they had to push him back. So the question is whether he gets pushed back to like Friday or Saturday against the Mets or whether they put him on the injured list. 
and in terms of what, what they do, if he misses that start is your guess is as good as mine. So I know, I know three of the four, as I said, Alcantara, Garrett and Cabrera and um, fingers crossed that Pablo Lopez is all right. And he makes that start um, because they need to win every time he takes the mound, and they need him to actually take the mound. So, so far this year, prior to this, he'd been taking the ball every time he's been asked to do it. And they hope that continues. Well, I know Carrasco is pitching on Friday night and Walker, uh, Taiwan Walker's pitching on Saturday. So that's two. Uh, I would imagine the other two would be Bassett and probably Peterson, who I think is pitching tonight. So, uh, mm-hmm. But we'll see how it all works out. Well, I, you know, uh, it, it should be an interesting se- series. Finally, we're getting to see Miami. And uh, why don't you tell the people a little bit, Eli, about the uh, fish stripes? Well, I've been a managing editor of the site for right around four years, exactly, right in line with the ownership change. And we just cover the Marlins, I feel, as completely as anybody does out there and focused all about the team. The daily game coverage, news, analysis, history, opinions and we this year more so than ever before we've been taking the credentialed coverage to another level i've had uh riders fly out to philly i've one flying into new york to cover these games in person from the press box so that's been very cool uh to have that access and to mm-hmm. ha- have people around the team to really get a feel for exactly what's going on with these players so we we cover the team as completely as possible but we try not to take it too seriously and always look for ways to be enjoyed and fulfilled regardless of the wins or losses. Anybody that's been following the Marlins for a long time knows that there's way more losses than wins. So you don't want to get too tied up in, in the team success. You want to like look at the bigger picture and like appreciate the game as it's going on. So we're, we're thankful that it's a full length season and uh, still over a hundred games to go. So all that coverage, people go to fishstripes.com. They'll find it all there. And we're, we're pretty active on social media as well. Any any place you do social, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or YouTube, you just search for Fish Stripes, you'll find us there. And lastly, as you mentioned, at the very top of the show, I do podcast myself uh, a couple times a week, and my staffers also contribute as well. So we have a lot of audio content at, at Fish Stripes. So if you just search for that, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us there talking about the Marlins. Well, go check it out. It, it's uh, they, he does an excellent job with the site and uh, the podcast. So everybody, go check it out. And Eli, I want to thank you again for coming on the show again. And we'll have to get together one more time or so before the season ends, and uh, w- when we get in more, and uh, hopefully uh, we're in a, a dog fight. Uh, though I hope we're. You know the Mets are ahead, of course. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think you have to worry about that. I think it's clear that where these teams are going to finish relative to each other in the standings, no matter what, I'm happy to hop on with you, Gary. Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, I've been a Mets fan a long time through the '60s and the '70s and the '80s, so I know what you're going through somewhat, and um, I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. So. Right. <laughs> Uh, Thanks again, Eli, and we'll be back right after this. 516-619-6341. That is our voicemail comment 
hotline if you have a question, want to leave a comment, make a statement, anything at all. That's the number to call, 516-619-6341. Or go to our website, metsmusings.com, and click on the widget in the middle of the screen. That's a speak pipe. And you click the record button, and you can record right through your computer's microphone. Or you can send us an email at metsmusings at gmail.com. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, it's Facebook is facebook.com slash metsmusings. Twitter is at metsmusingsgm. Instagram is metsmusings. And YouTube is metsmusingsmac. And don't forget to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you watch or listen to the podcast. All right, and now it's time to go... in our farm news this week the standings are uh haven't changed much uh, still not great records for our metsy farm teams but syracuse is at 23 and 38 12 games back in last place of their division binghamton is no better they are 22 and 37 and they are 16 games back and in last place of their division Brooklyn stands at 25 and 33, 14 and a half games back in fourth place of their division. And the bright spot is St. Lucie, who is 39-19 first place. And with St. Lucie's win on Wednesday night in, in Saint Port St. Lucie, the Mets have won the first half division title in the Florida State League Eastern Division. This marks the second straight season in St. Louis history that they have won the division title, and it's the first time in their history that they've accomplished that feat, winning two years in a row. Part of the reason St. Lucie has won back-to-back division titles is they had Alex Ramirez on their team both seasons. Ramirez went from a raw, promising outfielder with no professional experience to one of the best hitters in the Florida State League last season and this season. St. Lucie leads the Florida State League in OPS and runs scored. Omar De Los Santos is the league leader in runs scored. He's also second in the league in stolen bases. Overall, he ranks 13th in the lead OPS behind teammates Ramirez and Carlos Dominguez, who is ninth in the league. Dominguez is the league leader in homers with De Los Santos, eighth and Ramirez leaves the league in triples, while De Los Santos and Stanley Consuegra uh, rank fourth. Shortstop Junior Tillen has played a key role with an OPS over 900 since being added to the roster last month at the age of 19. 
pitching's been good as well. The 2021 Mets draft class has shined with St. Lucie. Right-handed Calvin Ziegler, second-round pick. Dominic Hamill, third-round pick, led the team in strikeouts. Left-hander Keyshawn Askew, 10th-round pick, was lights out with a 0.95 ERA and 11.8 strikeouts per nine innings and uh, a 5.00 strikeout-to-walk ratio before landing on the injured list. Right-hand is Carson Seymour, a sixth-round pick, and Mike Vassell, an eighth-round pick, both played key roles in the rotation before getting promoted to Brooklyn. Daniel Juarez has been a lights-out closer, ranking fourth in the league in saves. And uh, with the dominant hitting and pitching, St. Lucie won the division by seven and a half games over the Hammerheads. As a result, they will return to the postseason with an opportunity to win their first title since 2006. So congratulations to the uh, St. Lucie Mets having a real fine year down there. And give some hope to the Mets of the future as they are, uh, you know, developing some good young players. Unfortunately, they're down at the lower level, but, you know, they'll work their way up and, uh, you know, it'll keep uh, feeding this team, hopefully, with good players. And according to John Heyman of the New York Post, the team isn't ruling out promoting Francisco Alvarez to the majors this season. Uh, more than the rumors is what the Mets are saying themselves. Player development uh, director Greg Joyce has said we're going to treat him like the unique player he is. And uh, he has been having such a good year that he is forcing, uh, you know, a look-see. Uh, the problem I see is that at 20 years old, do you want to put the pressure of him of hitting and learning to handle the, the the pitching staff at the same time? That's a lot to ask. I could see if you brought him up and said, you know, just uh, just handle the pitching staff, learn the pitching staff. Don't worry about your hitting. But they would essentially be bringing him up because they would they want the off more offense from the catching position that they're not getting right now from Nito or Masika. Uh and we're not really getting from McCann either before he was hurt. So uh it, it's a lot for a 20-year-old, but uh we'll see what they decide to do. Um I hope they don't rush him. I hope they just let him be and try to get by with McCann and Nito or McCann, Nito, and Mazika, whatever combination they decide to do. But, um, yeah, I, I, it would be a shame to really try to rush him at this point in time. Mark Fientos, however, is making a case to be called up to the big club. He's got a six-game hitting streak with three multi-hit games. He has homered four times over his last three games, and he's hitting 285 over this stretch. And he, you know, uh, he, he's developing sort of a pattern of where he struggles early, like the first month of the season, he's terrible, and then heats up and then hits the rest of the year. So uh, he's in one of those grooves right now, hitting well, and could could make uh you know 
make his name uh, come up in the Mets discussions in uh, who they should bring up or make a trade. Maybe they would be better off bringing up Vientos and putting him in either splitting the DH with uh, J.D. Davis now or perhaps have him play a little left field, a little third base, um, even some first base he's played in the minors uh, to give Alonzo a break. Uh, so who knows? We could be seeing Mark Vientos sooner than we think. And uh, you never know. That could be a good thing. That is going to wrap it up for this week's show. The Mets have uh, uh, continue their homestand. They will have a four-game set with the Miami Marlins, as you just heard about, and we'll see how that goes. Then they hit the road for two in Houston and uh, three in Miami before they return home to play Houston again at home. And and uh, hopefully we'll have somebody on next week to talk about the Houston series uh, either before or after it's over, but with two more games coming up. So we'll have that to talk about anyway. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that uh, you will hit that like button and that subscribe button. It uh, does help us. Uh, expand the show and try to get new listeners in and it helps you know whenever there's a new show coming out so until the next time remember to keep the faith stay optimistic and let's go Mets and I'm Gary Mack and I'll see you next time on another edition of Mets Musing